Come join the conversation, the show that you've been wanting. Keep it real with no filter. Weekly we share discussions. WWSD interviewing creative guests, talking the creative process and sharing all the influences from TV and film. Emmy nominated and winning. Yeah, they coming through. Actors and comedians too. Directors and writers, we're more than a few. Masters of their craft. Yes, tune in. You gotta see this the podcast that you need. WWSD. Welcome to the WWSD Podcast. Weekly, we share discussions with interesting and creative people. We are sponsored by Collector's Maze. You can check them out at collectorsmaze.com for all things related to fandom. I'm your host, Josh, and as always, I'm joined by my buddy and co-host, Seamus. How's it going, Seamus? Doing great, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Good. I'm, I'm excited for tonight. Who do we have on? Oh, man. Tonight, we got a very, very special guest. We are joined by actor Alex Wiener. Alex has recently voiced one of my favorite characters of all time, Rocket Raccoon, in the awesome Marvel video game, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, which just came out last year. Super, super cool game. And he's also appeared in awesome shows like uh, Blue Mountain State, Carter, The Hummingbird Project. Alex, it's an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast tonight. How's it going, man? Hey, Josh and Seamus. Pleasure to be here. How the flark are you guys doing? <laughs> doing <laughs> Pretty doing fucking good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on, man. It's going to be fun. It's my yeah. pleasure, guys. Simple question. How'd you get started in acting? What, uh, what was your first steps to get into this field? That's a great question. You know, I got I got really lucky because I went to this great high school in Montreal called Royal West Academy, and I didn't really think I was going to become an actor, but I had to do this exchange to China, you know, a student exchange. And to do that, we had to actually put on a play. So that was my, I, I dipped my feet in that way. I started acting throughout high school and then an agent picked me up when I was 16, 17. Oh, wow. Yeah, very fortunate, you know, because a lot of people have to work, you know, a lot harder. I didn't really go to theater school. I just got an agent right out of high school. And the first gig I ever booked was a YoPlay commercial, YoPlay yogurt. <laughs> Probably the most difficult gig I've ever had to do because they, the whole gig was we were chasing this bully on, uh, sorry, we were bullies and we were chasing this nerd on, uh, on stationary bikes. They had us on those bikes for about six hours pedaling, <laughs> and it was absolutely horrible. So that was my first taste of, of shooting something. And I, I remember telling my mom, because I was like, you know, 16 at that point, I was like, I don't know if I want to be an actor. This is pretty terrible. <laughs> but then luckily, a month later, I actually booked an amazing film called uh, Territories with uh, Olivia Abu, French director, horror movie we shot for about 50 days uh, in, in the woods, this great horror movie. So I like to consider that my first gig, but my real first gig was almost dying on a stationary bike for yogurt. How did you get hooked up with an agent like right in high school? I had a few people who kind of who knew me. There was a wonderful lady, uh, she, you know, she's still around, Robin Baruchel, who's actually Jay Baruchel. Jay Baruchel, who you may know, is a Canadian actor. Uh, he's on She's Out of My League, uh, you know, Sorcerer's Apprentice. And she actually kind of helped me out at that point. A lot of this wouldn't be possible without her. And she hooked me up with an agent that way. But I put in a lot of work for that, I guess, by doing theater in high school and I was taking acting classes and everything. You know, I, I think my story with getting an agent's a bit uh, out of the ordinary just because I was mm -hmm. incredibly lucky to be surrounded by people that introduced me to those kinds of people. And at like, what point in your life did you, did you realize this is something you want to do like full time? Like, what was that one moment that kind of pushed you? High school is a weird time, right? As you get into the later grades, right, grade 10, grade 11, you're kind of splitting into the arts and the sciences. And I come from, you know, a Jewish background, right? So it was always kind of assumed that I would become a lawyer or a doctor. I was a straight A student. I remember when I got, you know, to grade 11 and I kind of, I was around 16 around that age, I had a feeling that I really loved this. And I made the decision then and there. So I made, I made the decision quite young around that mm -hmm. age, but that's always the way I do things. I'm kind of 100% or nothing, right? 
And I did a pretty, I think an interesting thing where I didn't actually decide to go to any kind of theater school. What I did is I went to Dawson College in Montreal and I studied cinema for two years. So I actually got a, um, like a, what do you call it? An associate's degree. Uh, you, you might call it in cinema. I just wanted to see the other side of acting. Uh, but I committed myself to the craft very, very, very early. And I just wanted to surround myself with as many teachers as possible. Once again, I was lucky because I was working already, you know, and I think uh, the place where you learn the most is probably on the job. Forced to do it. You're forced to perform when you're on a set and you have that kind of pressure to do it. So I was very lucky to do that. But I decided to do that, I, I'd say at 16, 17. And that's when all those things kind of started to, to fall into place uh, for, for me in that way. And how'd your uh, your family take it? Uh, I know you said they were anticipating you'd be like a doctor or a lawyer, but when you told me I want to be an actor. Yeah, it's a funny thing, right? Because people, you say you want to be an actor and I think people are just like, are you, are you serious? Like it's, it's impossible, right? And they're right. They're right. The odds are, I mean, you guys are creatives as well, right? You, you're doing yeah. something totally different. And, you know, I think anything that's out of the ordinary, that's not kind of tried and true, that has so much risk, People will naturally tell you, listen, you should have a plan B, you know, yeah. you should you should be really. And that can be a dangerous road to go down if you want to be successful in your arts. But what I will say is my mom and dad were extremely supportive because they saw me really, really enjoy what I was doing. And I do consider it a calling for me. The pressure for my family kind of came from some other aspects, you know, other people in my family. But as I kind of got more successful, they started to see that it was worth it. And it's funny, it's only up until they start to see you in stuff, right? That they, yeah. even now with Guardians, right? It's like, only for some people, it's only now. But I'll tell them, look, it's been 15 years. You know, it's yeah. not like this happened out of nowhere. <laughs> like, you know, I've done a lot of other stuff. You just may not have seen it. I And I've never really cared. I've always done my own thing, you know? Like, I, I don't <laughs> care if what you what you think. I kind of know what I feel and I'll, I'll do what's good for me in that way. That's good. Good mindset to have. Yeah. Uh, so after Territories, how, how long was it before you got uh, the role on uh, Blue Mountain State? Uh, I think that was about a year later. So did Territories. Yeah, you guys. <laughs> so you guys like that show, Blue Mountain State, right? I, I lo love Blue Mountain State. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> I love it, too. That was a, that was a great scene you were in, too. It was, very, it was hilarious. Yeah. Oh, my God. The, the <laughs> vodka snorting scene. Man, there are some stories about that set. I mean, it's a great set. It was an amazing place to work. It has to be a fun place to work. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. It cannot be serious there. <laughs> oh, my God. No. And like Romanski's super cool. Like everyone's everyone's super nice and everyone's having a really good time. The really funny thing for me, I think, was I got cast as Ricky the pizza boy right like the right. super nerdy like you know and at that point i was 19 20 i was like i'm an actor blah 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 so i was you know i was kind of like i was meeting girls or whatever you want to say you know i was partying i i thought <laughs> myself to be a bit of a bad boy but when i got that costume and i got on set i'm like wow i don't look like a bad bad boy at all <laughs> but that set it's filled with beautiful people beautiful women beautiful guys all these lovely cheerleaders and i remember just being there i'm like there's no way that i'm gonna be able to get like lucky with anyone here <laughs> like it's not gonna happen and i remember trying to like flirt with someone and it's just like ah alex what are you doing just just be the loser be the pizza boy but man that was an amazing amazing set and that was a fun scene to shoot the vodka snorting scene a lot of people ask me was it really vodka and i'm like no no it was it was water 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mean it wasn't uncomfortable. It totally was. But I mean, it was a really, really fun scene to shoot for sure. And Jay Chandraskar is, you know, I saw him in Super Troopers before I worked on that. And he directed me that day. And he was so nice because my dad, my dad came to see me on set. You know, like I'm still young. I'm, I'm 19. And it's really cool to have your dad kind of see and support. And Jay kind of immediately gave my dad these headphones. He sat him down in the producer's chair. Oh, and my so dad cool. felt like a VIP. It was <laughs> Really, really empowering for me to see my dad treated that way too. It was really cool. It was cool. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was a great gig. I really, and to this day, it's something I am uh, recognized for, particularly <laughs> from people from Eastern Europe. It's it's oh, very yeah? interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's very popular there. Like I'll, I'll always I went to McGill. I did a little stint at McGill, and I dropped out obviously. But and I remember like hearing like Mickey the Pizza Boy, and then there's like some guys running down the hall and they want to take a selfie, and I'm like, wow, that's this is really cool. And to this day, if people do recognize me, still, it's, it's very nice. What was the first time you got recognized for something? Uh, I would actually say it's that. It's Blue Mountain State. And uh, it's a credit to that show. It's, you know, I mean, even to this day, it's got such a strong fan base. People just love the wild and loose kind of aspect of that show. It's funny, but it's it's doing its own thing, right? And, and the characters are amazing. So I, I do like the show as well. So I guess that would be the first thing I ever got recognized for. Yeah. What was that feeling like when you got recognized for the first time? I felt good. Do you feel like you feel like you're 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 actually you're actually like a real actor then? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you're like I'm like a yeah. Uh, like well, I mean like I, you know I, I've arrived. You know you know Seamus, it, it it's true because it, it, I think it gives you a, an aspect of credibility just a little bit right and uh, it's a benchmark I'd say for an actor you know a benchmark is probably booking a gig after that it's getting a reputable agent perhaps and then it's booking a lead role and I think one of those benchmarks is being recognized absolutely. So it felt really, really good. Yeah. And I, I think I hung out with those guys. I went to a bar after with them. And yeah, I won't say what happened, but like I was <laughs> I was down to, to hang out. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good one to get recognized. It's such a cult following. Like you said, like people are like just like diehard fans. You'll probably get recognized like forever as long as you relatively look the same as well. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll see when Always. I'm 40. <laughs> <laughs> Then uh, so so how did you actually get into like voice acting in that part of your career? Like what were you doing to get into that? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. And I'm asked that quite a bit. We did an AMA on Reddit recently, and I think that was probably one of the most asked questions to the cast. It's a good question because when you look at acting, you see it as one thing, right? You see it as performance, but there are multiple avenues to acting, right? There's film acting, there's theater acting. And then when you get into voice, it splits up even more. You've got commercial, you've got cartoon, you've got video game, you've got audiobook, got dubbing. So what's interesting about that, I would say, is that there are niches within each one. So just because you're, let's say, working quite a bit in cartoons, it really doesn't mean you're working a lot in commercials or vice versa or, or in video games. Uh, they tend to work a lot with the people they know. So I got very, very, uh, once again, lucky, I'd say. I started off doing dubbing and I started off doing some commercials as well. But then I hooked up with this great guy called Mark Camacho. Mark Camacho is a wonderful actor. He played Richard Nixon in uh, X-Men uh, Days of Future Past. And uh, his son, Jesse Camacho, is my writing partner, one of my best friends. But I didn't know Jesse at that point. But Mark took an interest in me. And he offered me, when I was around that age, 19, 20, he said, Alex, just why don't you come in and skip class <laughs> and uh, and sit in on some VO sessions with some amazing Montreal cartoon people. And I spent a good year just three times a week. I would like make excuses. I would go sit in the back and just learn and absorb as much as I could. Through Mark Camacho, I actually gained a lot of experience in cartoons. And through that, I started working in that way. And then through, I think Mark Camacho as well, I ended up getting a video game role and my video game career kind of started VO, 
but it also started with a little bit of mocap. I, I did some stuff for um, Assassin's Creed 4, uh, Black Flag. I was just in a big session with a lot of people doing some of the pirates, right? Some, some VO like that. I think my first bigger role was probably with uh, Eidos Montreal. Once again, I did Deus Ex, Mankind Divided. Uh, sorry, yeah, Mankind Divided. And I played Tibor Sokol. Uh, and the audio engineer, uh, the audio director on Mankind Divided was Steve Shipkowski, who is a uh, who is the audio director on Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, and he's also the writer of that kick ass album, Star Lord, the original album with 10 tracks that they made for the game. This is kind of a fun story. When we were doing uh, Tibor Sokol, I had to put on a Czech Republic accent, Czech accent. So what I was doing is I was listening to Milos Forman interviews in my in my earphones for hours outside. And he sees me. Like in, outside the office, and he's like, "Isn't that Alex? Isn't that the guy doing T-Bore? And He's like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "Oh man, I'm just practicing. I had my earphones in my ears and stuff like that." And he was like, "Wow, that guy's really dedicated." <laughs> and he talked to a bunch of people, and then he told me once I booked Guardians that he, they were at the table, and he was like, "I remember that kid. You know, he was outside the building, <laughs> really, really practicing. And you know, he's he's gonna he wants to learn. He's really good. So it's just really funny how that's like who you know, who you talk to can can make a huge, huge difference. But that was really, really my path to get into voice acting and uh, get into video games. And um, you know, what I would say to anybody is, if you're trying to get into one of them. Try to find someone who's doing it. Try to find someone and just be like, look, I just want some advice. Can I sit in? Can I can I learn a bit? I think everyone will appreciate that. Like you guys, if you guys, if somebody came up to you guys and said, listen, I want to know how to, can you help me out with the podcast? I don't want anything. I just want to like listen and maybe ask you guys a few questions for advice. <laughs> I think anyone's willing that you probably, you might get that a lot. I don't know. But everyone's willing to help out a, a young person kind of trying to do that. Once you show that you're interested, you know, then you can you can be in front of the right people and, and, and get a little experience that way. And after that, you know, it's getting the right agent and, and I think getting those auditions and proving it on the ground in the audition as well, for sure. And that's not even just like for people that want to get in entertainment. That's just good advice in general. If there's something you're interested in, most people, if they're interested in it, they'll, they're willing to teach you as long as you like show that yeah. I'm invested. I, I want to learn about this. It's like they don't want like someone just like basically just come and they like fuck off basically, but they want someone to like, actually be invested and they'll, they'll teach anything. Like, like in my career, uh, I, I, I do that all the time. Like I'll drop knowledge. I'll teach people stuff and all, especially if it's something that they're interested in. Oh, I agree. That's something that we've uh, we found with doing this podcast too. Like you know, a lot of people are just really interested in in talking about and being celebrated for what they what they what they love and what they do. You know. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. You really just have to ask sometimes. Yeah, yeah and I yeah. think a lot of people don't. You're right. You know, I think there's there's an aspect. I think maybe in Canada, it might be in the U.S. too, but I think recently there's a little bit more insecurity about that, right? About kind of putting yourself out there. I think it's important to take risks like that. I think it's important. You know, if you're in an auditorium with 100 people and there's someone there's someone giving a lecture, there might be one person at the end of that lecture who stops that guy at the bathroom and just or that person at the bathroom after the lecture and goes, hey, really like that lecture. You know, do you mind if I send you an email with a few questions? People think it's bothering people. But I think with people, when you start to get success, I think you want to give it back too, right. And I think yeah, like, like you're saying, so I agree 100 percent. Uh, you did mention uh, about skipping class when when you're in college. I mean, you said you were already working and all. Like, was that weird? Were people treating you differently? I think, that, yeah, that's a good question. I I was lucky because I was in cinema, so you know, I didn't have a problem with the teachers. You know, I mm-hmm. booked that fifty day shoot in my first semester, and I 
went up to my syncom teachers and I was just like, look, guys, I'm going to be on a feature film. And they looked, most of them looked at me and said, well, you're probably going to learn a lot more than you're going to learn in this 101 <laughs> course. So go ahead. <laughs> just, you know, just write a report about what it was like after. But yeah, with the rest of my, with, with the rest of the students, with my peers, I, I think there's a bit of a mystique around acting and it probably goes away the older you get. But, you know, when you're, you know, I think when everyone's studying and doing their thing, but mm, I never really noticed it too much. I definitely used it at the bar a lot when I was trying to hit on someone, but you know, <laughs> I saw an effect there sometimes. <laughs> that worked out well, I, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, I met my wife on Tinder, and yeah, I don't, I don't think the acting had anything to do with that. It was pure chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we met on Tinder, right? And some people meet on Tinder. It's amazing. Yeah. And it works out. Yeah. Um, but she messaged me first. She, she, which I just thought as a guy, I'm like, that's never happened. So I immediately assumed it was a, a bot, right? <laughs> I was like, this is, this can't be real. No, but she messaged me. Um, uh, if you could be any fruit, which one would you be and why? So I said, okay, that's a, that could be a programmed question from a bot, but let's answer it. So I said, I would be a tomato so I could establish diplomatic relations with the vegetables. <laughs> and she wrote back, there's no right answer to that question, but that was a good one. I said, ah, that's still a bot response. Like that can, that can reply to anything. So I asked her, which superpower would you have and why? And she said, teleportation. So I don't have to take the, the TTC, which is the Toronto public transit. And I said, all right, all right. She's, she's real. And, and, and the rest was history. I just thought I'd slip that in there. Uh, how long ago did you guys meet? Uh, five years. We actually got married uh, last September. Oh, oh congratulations. Nice. Thank you. Thank you very much. So she's like always known you as like an actor then and like and, and being the position you're at now pretty much, right? Absolutely. And she's a huge support for me because uh, you know, acting is a, it's it's tough. I mean, you know, there's a perceived amount of success, but we we do there's so many periods where you're not working and it, it doesn't matter who you are, right? Uh, unless obviously you're in the upper upper echelons where that's it doesn't seem to be a problem anymore obviously, but uh, yeah, she's always known me as an actor. She's helped me through a lot of things. And, you know, she's not an actor herself. She works in marketing, which is just nice. I think we kind of complement each other that way. But she's always supported me. And she was there when I booked Guardians and I couldn't tell anyone. Right. So that, that was cool. It was it was. <laughs> Did you tell her? Uh, yeah, I told her. <laughs> I mean, no, I didn't tell her. <laughs> with acting in the video games, like with Guardians of the Galaxy, you, uh, you, you've had a lot of motion capture um, while you were doing the voice acting. Was that the first time that you, you'd done the, the motion capture? So I had done it before, but never to that extent, right? I had done motion capture on um, on Assassin's Creed 5, uh, Syndicate. Yeah, no, 6. 6 is Syndicate. So I did a little bit there. I had done some something on um, on Watch Dogs 2 as well. So I had done, you know, these day stints on it. I had done a little bit more voice, but, you know, Rocket was the first time where we were, were talking, I mean, you guys saw all the cinematics. We were talking about three years of motion capture spread oh, out yeah. wow. you know, yeah. across all that. So definitely close to 100 days, maybe more. So it was the first time really, really dipping into it in that way, for sure. You, you played a character who's like like two feet tall. <laughs> yeah. Are, are, are they doing like motion capture on your entire body or is it just your face? Like, what, what are they doing for that? Yeah, it's it's on the entire body, it's on the face, and they they could do a lot of stuff, right? They they can shrink you, they can move you, they can really they can really work their magic after. And uh, it's important to note that the motion capture, I would say that it's shared very much with the animators, right? So you will have a suit, they're capturing your body data, they're capturing your voice, they're capturing your face. The animators do a heck of a job after you've done yours to accentuate what you're doing on your face to really make you look good. The real beauty about motion capture is when you have happy accidents, like a little trip, 
or or something, you know, you, you can't plan that with a with a with a program. You can't plan that with zeros and ones. But there were a couple of things about Rocket that made it a bit different than my cast members. So one thing was, you know, when everyone's walking, everyone's five foot six to six, right? Yeah. Rocket's not. Rocket's like three feet tall. So if you shrink him, he's gonna and he's walking at the same pace as everybody else, he's not gonna walk as far. He's gonna end up. <laughs> you know, about three times behind them. So whenever I had to walk, I had to walk a lot faster. I had to walk about double the amount as everybody else. So I developed the rocket walk, which was this really like, like, eh, 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 you know, this like very fast walk that actually kind of made it into the game. So there was that. And there were times where uh, Robert Moncon, fantastic actor, he's the guy who plays Groot. Sometimes we would help out the animators where I would be like, let's do it for real, where he would look down on my crotch and I would look up like way above his head <laughs> because, you know, just so that when they actually put the data in, we our eye lines match. But when we were doing some really intense scenes, you know, we I decided to forgo adding a layer of complexity like that and the animators and they knew what they were doing after. So I, we would just stare at each other, you know, Star-Lord and I, John McLaren and I, we would act with each other without faking it in that way. Another thing that's interesting about Rocket and it's something I learned as an actor is, you know, I am Alex Wiener. I have a certain body type. I have a certain height. But given that Rocket is so short, he, you know, he's got little, little guy syndrome, right? And we discovered that in the scene where he wanted to kind of get through the crowd a little bit. And it's like, ah, you know, get, get out of the way. Come on. And it was interesting to internalize that because I think that affects a lot of who he is. You know, he's always got to talk a bit louder. He's got to do bigger things because he's he's got to get noticed. You know, if he's at a concert, no one's going to see him. So I think that was a really interesting physiological thing that we or physical thing that that I incorporated into the performance as well that you, you might not have on the day because you are who you are. But you can internalize that into a bit of a performance as well. So let's backtrack a little bit. Sure. How did you actually get the Guardians of the Galaxy gig? Was it like an open casting call? I'm not sure like how video game acting works with that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So Idos Montreal, right away, they wanted to they wanted to focus on a realistic performance for the Guardians. They wanted to, uh, so they reached out, you know, we got Kim Sue Murray, who uh, Kimberly Sue Murray hadn't done any uh, video games before, but she's, you know, fantastic actress, um, you know, Shadowhunters, for example. John McLaren had done video games, but never mocap. Uh, I had done video games, but I was also more known as a film actor at that point. And it was, I wouldn't say an open casting call, but they hired Andrea Kenyon out of Montreal. So she's a well-known uh, uh, casting director. And it was actually an audition like you would have for television or, or film. So you would okay. get a, you, we, we got sides. The interesting thing about this is it was all coded. So we didn't have any of the actual character names. I think my, my I forgot what my guy was called, but the guy who they coded as Groot, he had one line and it was always celery is good. <laughs> so I know, right? Like, so the minute I saw that, I kind of clued into it and I looked at the rest of the breakdown and I'm like, okay, this looks like Guardians of the Galaxy, but I don't know. <laughs> So that was the first thing is that you kind of got this audition, you know, these set asides that you weren't really told what it was, but you had to kind of figure it out or, you know, you had to do your best with it. So I did an audition. I did one self-tape. And then about three to four months later, I found out that I was called in for a test. And that's where I met the rest of the cast. We went in, we did a few days of shooting. And then I got that amazing phone call from my agent saying that you booked it. You know, and at that point, I knew exactly what it was. And 
And, you know, Seamus and Josh, I, I, you know, you've probably had moments like this in your life, right? Where you've worked really hard for something and then you get it. And it's that typical actress moment. I, I was jumping in the street. I was like screaming. I was so happy. And, you know, it's, awesome. a, it's a beautiful moment because at that point I had been acting for 10 years. So, uh, you know, working my way up and I think getting a role like that when they trust you to perform a character that is very important to a lot of people gives you a certain validity, right? It gives you a certain validation to your craft. That was another benchmark in my career for sure. That was a great moment. When when you were auditioning, I know they, they said it was coded, but did you know you uh, you wouldn't actually be playing the character? It would be like Rocket Raccoon's obviously a raccoon-esque type creature. Like, did you know you weren't going to be like performing as a human? Did they make that clear to you or not really? <laughs> what did they? I, I, I don't remember too much about the breakdown, but they mentioned that he was an experiment, I think. Okay. So I, I, I had an idea. But we knew that we were going to be doing performance capture. Like, that's what we knew in the breakdown. And I was assuming that's why they wanted a typical film audition, right? Otherwise, it would have been a voice audition, which is a bit different. (laughs) But uh, I don't know if that answers your question. I, I, I had an idea a little bit that he wasn't human. but Yeah, because like from from like a a performing standpoint, I mean, obviously, like all your human expressions aren't going to translate to a dude with fur on his face and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. he's going to have like teeth and like more of a like bigger nose and stuff like that. So like all your human expressions aren't 100% going to translate. So I was just wondering if you had kind of prepared yourself. Show you know, uh, be a raccoon. Kind of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be a raccoon. He's not a raccoon, Seamus. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just feels like if they would have like said like, oh, you're, you're going to be playing an animal, like would that put like a certain like mindset into you when you're acting or when you're performing to perform in a certain way in, in lieu of something as a, as a person or as a human? Oh, man, that's a fantastic question. They, they, we never really, I think, decided too firmly on it. They let me explore quite a bit at the beginning. And the animalistic stuff actually came in quite a bit. There were some trademark things that I kind of started doing um, whenever Rocket got into a, a precarious situation where he had to pull out his guns, let's say, or I would do a growl like a like and okay. that, you know, that's something that we see in the game quite a bit. But that was a choice for me. And, you know, Daryl Purdy, our director, we kind of talked about those animalistic qualities a bit and then adding little elements of animal. Right. If I've got a, maybe a tick on my fur. So there's some moments where I would be talking and I would scratch myself, you know, very quickly, like like an animal would. Despite him claiming that he's not a raccoon. Right. He's got fur. He's got a tail. He's an animal. Uh, he is a raccoon. Whatever. I, I, d- yeah. Don't quote me on that. I'll, I, I can't let him know that I admitted that. We did incorporate those elements as well. And uh, I'm trying to think what else. The claws, you know, sometimes we would add those animalistic qualities. And one choice that I did make with the voice of Rocket as well was when he got angry, I did want to show a bit more of that vicious, you know, rabid animal just a little bit. I wanted to show that underneath that facade, like he still is like a like a hell beast. Right. And I did try to give him a little bit of an edge in his voice, especially in those angry moments. You know, it's another really funny thing that I think Daryl did amazingly, our director. I have a, a natural lisp and you can probably hear it right now just a little bit. It's something I've never really wanted to get rid of, but when I need to, I, I know how to do it. I decided to leave it in the audition and Daryl and them, they love the lisp on Rocket. They just thought it was okay. really, really cool. And the first day I came in, I was kind of trying to hide it. And he's like, no, no, keep the lisp. I think it's amazing. So we made a rule, which was the angrier he gets, the more he lisps. 
So that's why when he's having those big tirades, he's he's like lisping left, left, right and center. I just think that was a beautiful little choice to, to differentiate him a little bit. And it's very funny, very unique. I also really appreciate a director giving me the liberty to uh, to kind of keep doing something that I do think is a part of me, because a lot of vocal teachers will tell you, no, you you can't lisp like you're not an actor if you lisp. And I'm. I'm kind of like, I don't know, am I am I not an actor if I have a list? But I think it's kind of a part of me and I think it's unique. So it's real. Yeah, yeah, it's real. Exactly. So something you mentioned about uh, about about Rocket is that uh, he's he's such a love character. Mm-hmm. I, I'm wondering, like, how, how did how did the weight of that kind of play into you, like creating that character? You know, when you book something like this, there's a mixture of of excitement and pressure. Right. And the pressure really comes from that for sure is, is you're, you know, you're, you're playing a household name. And if there's anything about the fans that I love is that they care, right. They care about these characters, you know, Marvel has this ability to create these characters that say a lot about life and that are very daring in their stories. I think they resonate with a lot of people. I think a lot of people can resonate with Rocket. And I've seen that with the fan reactions, like people have their favorite characters, but they have their favorite characters for a reason, right? Like, I feel like I'm more like Drax. I feel like I'm more like Rocket. And that's beautiful. So yeah, I mean, knowing that I had to represent that was huge. So a couple of things that really helped. Firstly, the writing from Mary DeMarle and her team. The first thing they said is we're creating our own unique world. So right away, they were like, look, we want you to bring a unique take on the character. So they're giving you the freedom to create your own thing based on the world that they had cultivated. So that goes into the comics a bit where I did do a bit of research, right? Into the comics, into his history with Lila and Half-World and, and all that stuff, which is brutal, right? It's a lot of trauma to deal with for a character. It's great, very rich. But they had also created their own uh, universe and backstories for, for the Galactic War and stuff like that. So I was kind of thrown into this unique universe that had been created and I was given freedom to play. So I made a decision early on. I said, I'm not going to watch any more of the uh, Guardians movies. So I decided not to do it. I wanted to stay in my own place. I wanted to. And to this day, it's nothing against them because I saw both of them and and I'll probably see the next one at this point. But I just wanted to take ownership. You know, I wanted to like do my own thing. So that that's kind of it. Like it's there's pressure. And I've always done very well with pressure. I think without the freedom that we were given by Eidos to create such a unique world, which the fans liked, I think, I, I think it would have been a lot more difficult for sure. I got you. Yeah. You mentioned that, you know, Rocket is kind of a tortured character in a lot of ways. Mm. Was was there anything about portraying him that you found kind of foreign to your own experience that, that was uh, maybe more difficult to portray? Besides that fur and a teeth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Besides, besides the, yeah. the obvious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how how'd they, how'd they fit you in that, in that small costume? You should see the suit. <laughs> it's not a suit anymore. <laughs> yeah i mean something foreign for rocket man wow i've never been asked that before Seamus. that's a really good one i mean the things that weren't foreign i think was i've always had a very nice handle on my anger <laughs> so <laughs> you know i would say that I, I i'm very in tune with it i'm in tune with a lot of my emotions part of the reason i became an actor is i think acting is a really safe way to get in touch with those darker emotions so I actually felt quite in tune with Rocket in that with the anger. But I think one big thing was his fear of water because it's such a pivotal thing in the game for him. It, it really, really, it's funny. It's the internal conflict he resolves around, but it's based on his trauma on Half-World, right? It's based on it. And for those who don't know, who are listening, you know, he was experimented on quite a bit by scientists. And in those experiments, he was stuck in these tubes uh, that were filled in water. He was for, he was almost drowned. He was drowned and woken up. He's, you know, very, very horrible, horrible, torturous stuff to go through. 
And in the game, that's a really big fear for him that he overcomes. Uh, myself, I've th- I've always loved water. You know, I, I I always tell Debbie when we have a house in the future, I want a water room. I want a whole basement filled with water. You know, <laughs> uh, I don't ask me why. I want like a like a tiki bar in the corner with a with a jacuzzi. Anyways, yeah, you guys are invited by the way. Well, we'll hang. Oh, on. thanks. Uh, oh, cool. No, no problem. <laughs> You have to call me Star Lord, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. No problem. <laughs> I'll be Gamora. Okay. Yeah. This is yeah there we go. All right. Let's 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 joking. dip our toes in, boys. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the water. I mean, I think that's a gift as an actor because sometimes as actors, we're thrown these elements of the characters that are very unique, but are nothing on nothing like we've ever you know experienced before. So. I used my fear of open water because I do have a fear of open water and I kind of revolved around that, but I did have to create a unique resonance with that particular fear because one of the things was, you know, if, if ever it's raining in the game, uh, his whole temperament changes. And a lot of that is also because he has bionic implants in him. So not only does he not like water, but the water actually hurts him. It was something we established where it gets in between the metal and it's very, very painful. So that was an element we had to incorporate with Rocket as well. Um, the other thing I'd say that I'm not used to, that's not very much like me, I'm a, I'm a pretty open dude. You know, like I always say, I wear my heart on my sleeve and people say like, man, you must be a good liar because you're an actor. I'm like, no, nope, I'm a horrible liar because acting is not lying. Acting is actually just believing circumstances. You know, Rocket's got a hell of a shell around him, a hell of a suit of armor. It's very hard to let people in. I'm the exact opposite. I let everyone in. I have no secrets. Like I'm the guy at the bar or at the party who's talking with everyone. So it's different because Rocket would be the guy at the party talking with everyone, but he would be putting on a hell of a show. And maybe I'm putting on a show too. I don't know. I would say that I'm the guy at the party who's, you know, genuinely trying to meet people. And I'm always genuinely curious. So that's a major difference for me and Rocket. But that's why we act, man. That's why we do characters is because we, you know, we want to do something that's different and we want to learn about ourselves. If I had to play Alex Wiener my whole life, I well, I guess I am already, but I, that wouldn't be too cool. <laughs> man with many faces. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Like how how are video games shot? Because you said like there's a director, there's obviously a script. Are you guys doing it like like a movie script? Like you're just reading through all the scenes, or is it you just like breaking it up into pieces? Yeah, I mean, so it's very similar to a film. I would almost say motion capture or performance capture is similar to probably theater in a way. It's almost like you're taping theater because if you've got a scene, you're not really breaking it up into close-ups, medium close-ups or anything like that, right? Or like wides. Like if you're shooting a movie, you're shooting a scene, you're going to do the master and then you're going to do, you know, the close-up, you're going to do the reverse and then you're going to do the mid and maybe you'll do a pickup shot. It doesn't work that way in video games. You've got Mm -hmm. the data, you've got some reference cameras and you do the whole scene and then later they're going to go do close-ups and all that stuff. So there's also no lighting shifts because it's all it's all data. So you're actually acting a lot more than you would on a movie. If you're on a movie set, you're probably only acting a good, I don't know, hour and a half, two hours out of the whole day, because the rest of the day you're waiting for the lighting changes of the camera. Yeah, they're resetting everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of the it's one of the gigs where you go to bed at night and you're, you're freaking tired, like you're, you, you sleep. In terms of the other technical aspects, where where it got really complicated, and you guys know this through the game, is when you had multiple paths, right, in the conversation. So you've got a battle of wits, let's say, and with with another character and the player character that you're playing, Star-Lord, you have multiple choices, right? Those choices will go to different dialogue paths. Mm -hmm. So that's complicated because now you've got, let's say, a four-minute scene. Suddenly, that four-minute scene becomes 12, 15 20 minutes, maybe, if you're considering 
you know, let's say eight different branches across the whole uh, branching paths across the whole dialogue. So what we would do is we would single out something called the golden path. The golden path was if you start the scene and you're playing and you make all the right choices, it's the path that gets you to the end of the scene in the right way, let's say. And there's also a way to get there if you make all the wrong choices, but we chose the golden path to be the correct one. So what we would do is we would record that first. We would record the golden path. And then after we would go back and do like the other choice. And that's maybe a smaller segment. For the actor, it's quite demanding because uh, given that there aren't those lighting changes I described, you can get a lot more done in a day. So you have to be very, very prepared and you have to know all your lines. You know, you can't, you you really got to be ready for it because you're going to be doing like that scene with Raker, right? You're going to be doing four hours of shooting where you do the whole golden path, you get to the end and then it's like, okay, we're going to go to, um, to path G and it's this one answer to one question. And then you've got to know where you were right before that moment. And then you've got to, yeah, you've got to do it. And then you're going to go to another one. And once again, you've got to know where you were before. And another little hidden complexity of that is if you're maybe one of the supporting characters like Rocket, you can't let the choices before inform what you're doing now because you don't know if the player was going to make those choices. So you've got to kind of be in in a zone where it's going to work for all of them. Yeah. So it's very interesting to shoot, but totally doable and very, very fun, very rewarding as well. Have you always been adept at memorizing lines throughout your career? I, I'm very lucky. I, I'm a sponge. I, I've never had a problem with it. A very, very quick for me. Um, we'll see how that goes as I get older. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, guys, I've never, never had an issue with that. There's some people it's a, it's very hard. But the funny thing about me is I don't retain it. Like, I, I think I'm probably using a very, very acute short term memory because I can learn stuff quickly. You know, if I learned something a week ago and I didn't practice it the whole week and I got to the set today, I wouldn't know it. But if I worked it last night, I would know it like the back of my hand. So it after the day is done, I forget it <laughs> like right away. Are, are you are you aware of anything that you're doing like in your practice that might give you a better ability at that or a more natural ability? Every actor has a different process. It's important to find your own process. And one of the ways you do that is by looking at other teachers, you know, meeting people, meeting teachers, mentors, and figuring out what they do. But at one point, you've got to do your own thing. The way I do like to do it is I like to just read it. You know, I I have a three-day thing usually for an audition. So if I get the scene three days before, the first day, I'll just read it about 10 times. I won't even try to memorize the lines. I just want to kind of get a sense of the story. I want to find what I like about it. You know, and what I what really, you know, I don't want to focus too much on the work because I want to see what inspires me. Okay. And then the actual memorization for me is is the repetition of it, you know, reading through it, reading through it, uh, working with another actor. I like to, you know, well, Debbie's not an actor, but she's getting pretty good because she practices with me a lot. But that's what I do. I just read it as many times as I need to. And it sounds very simple. It's because it is, but that's what works for me. <laughs> it sounds like you you connect with the uh, the narrative or the the creation first, and then you can kind of read it through that lens. Hundred percent. We're not memorizing the words; we're memorizing the intention, right? And we're right. we're memorizing a bit more. It's easy to learn something that makes sense. It's very hard <laughs> to learn something that doesn't that that's not making sense for you. You know, one thing I would suggest to people if they want to do it is me personally. If I get a line and I don't like the way, like it's not working for me, I'll, I'll just change it up a little bit to make it more work for how I would say it. And right away, it, it, I call it removing obstacles. You know, you get an audition and the audition says you've got to pick up a dartboard and put it on the wall and throw the darts. But you're talking about yesterday's ball game. 
I'll go, you know what? Are the darts important? No, I'm on a camera, you know, in my bedroom. No. So I'm going to remove the darts. I'm removing an obstacle and I'm just going to focus on the ball game. So it's same thing with lines. It's kind of, I don't know if that made sense, but it's the same thing with lines where, you know, if I got a sentence that was written and it doesn't really work for me, I'll change it up a little bit. And I think that really helps. And I think it's part of taking ownership as an actor as well as on the day on on set. If I find a line doesn't really work for how I feel the character would say it. Uh, usually there's something there because you're the job of the actor is to inhabit the character. And, you know, ultimately you do become responsible for your character because you're actually living the character, right? So taking ownership of that and removing those obstacles is important, but you're absolutely right, Seamus. I think it's about understanding the logic and story within the scene and in those words, for sure. The actual like reading of the lines was, was everything you, you, you would read would, were there other people in the room with you? Were you always acting with other actors or were you doing stuff solo? Ah, okay. So let me ask, let me understand that question. So did we agree on different like ways of doing the scene together and then do it? Or were we? Like- well, it, anytime you're recording audio, were you doing it with other actors in the scene? Ah, because I know with like, uh, like cartoons and stuff, sometimes you just go in, you read your lines and you leave. You're never actually like seeing any other actors and stuff. I know yeah. since you guys are using the motion capture stuff and all that, it'll be different. Absolutely. So whenever we were doing performance capture, motion capture, we were all together, right? Like that was great. It was usually the guardians. And then we all, you know, we would have a guest, we'd have Raker would come on or, or we would have uh, Mantis, you know, the amazing Emmanuel uh, Martinez uh, come on. And we were always together, but you know, a huge part of this game are the banters. And that's an important differentiation to make is that anytime you have a cinematic scene in the video game, those are called cinematics. We're doing performance capture. Well, you know, when you're walking around as Star-Lord in the game and all the Guardians are talking around you, that's not recorded in performance capture. That's just in a voice booth. Okay. But Eidos Montreal did the amazing thing of getting us all together every single time. We did a whole year of that where we were all in the same room together and uh, we got to play off each other like, like it was nobody's business. I think that's super important for what we did because the Guardians are all about the band. They're all about the camaraderie. They're all about the vibe that they have together as a team, the bickering, the arguments, the yeah, you know, the whatever you want to call it. I don't think it would have been possible without uh, to get it to this level without being all together. Because sometimes John would do something and I would just be like, oh, that's that's so good. That would give me an idea. And Kim would come in with something else. We would have lived a little bit. I just did an amazing decision, I think, to get us all together and do it that way. And it was a bit more logistically, you know, problematic for them they definitely had to plan a bit more but they did it because they i think they they recognized the importance of having uh that chemistry you know and that, that is one of the things like i did notice with the game is like that big like it you felt like you're part of the guardian of the galaxy because the way everyone was interacting it, it's usually like not like that in video games and i think that's one of the reasons that the game stood out for like that narrative because you actually felt like you're watching the movie with them it's yeah it's very unique yes. for a video game yeah Hanging out with the Guardians. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> trying to manage them too, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 So I, I know the game, it took uh, about four years to come uh, to fruition. Like, what was that like working on such a project that, that took so long? Because obviously, if you're working a movie or a TV show, it mm-hmm. comes out a lot sooner than four years, unless there's a problem with the something going on with it. But yeah. on average, <laughs> but what was that like uh, taking so long for that project? I was happy to have the work <laughs> for four years. It's not every day as an actor, you're like, you've got work for four years. It was on and off and, it, and there were periods of a lot of work, but that was the first thing. It, it felt really good to know that I had something going on for a long time. And there were other things going on too, but that was cool. But I think working on something for four years is really, really special because I mean, 
these guys became my family, not only the Guardians, but like everyone on the crew, you know, Daryl, our amazing producer, Carolina Mazouk, Simon Habib. He's the guy who did all the facial stuff for, for Guardians. Uh, Caitlin, uh, Geiger, uh, like the uh, Johan Boudreau, man, the guy, he was the audio guy and he's the co-writer of the Star-Lord album. And I saw that guy every day. All these people to this day, I still hang out with, you know, and I like they are a family for me. I think people who work on television would probably say the same mm. thing. You know, the guys who shot Lost or something, they're, they're probably saying the same thing. That That's one of the benefits is that you, you really, really make some friends for life, which is so cool. The other thing I would say is I think with a game, it's interesting because they iterate, right? Like you're doing something year one and then as we go, we learn and we'll adapt as we keep going. And it's a bit of a snowball effect as the farther you get in, the more scenes you're kind of shooting just because everyone involved in the game, including the writers and the animators and the designers and the concept artists are understanding the project more. So it's really cool to actually see that firsthand and just see uh, more risks being taken with the writing, for example, as you get farther along. And then lastly, as an actor, I mean, it's a blessing to be able to work with a character for so long, especially a character like Rocket. I mean, he's amazing. And there's no other character for me that I know as well. And I, I talk a lot like that, right? I say like, I know him. And it's weird because that's kind of the process I have. I have a very weird little, I'll let you guys in on this because it's some, not something. Yeah, he's, he's your buddy. Yeah, He's my buddy. Yeah, it's, it's not something I share a lot, but like, you know, the week before we would have a shoot, I would... I, I like to imagine that he comes to my house and he's there and then he gets closer and closer and closer. And then, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. It's just like hanging out with him. I think it's also because I want to respect the character. I, I see acting, especially with a character like rocket where you're just a vessel for this amazing character that has had so many iterations across comics, movies, also other video games from other fantastic voice actors. So it's like, it's bigger than you. So I wanted to kind of like give the respect to him. It's really the rocket show, not the Alex Wiener show in that way. <laughs> but uh, man, the last day of shoot, I had this crazy moment in my bathroom where like I looked in the mirror and I felt him there for something. I might sound crazy right now, but like I, I, I started crying because it was just like it just hit me that it was over, you know, but the way I like to look at it, it was kind of saying goodbye to a good friend, you know, like, I'll see you later, pal. And that's the last day, you know. And do you get moments where like, you're kind of stuck in character? You're like, oh, how would Rocket react to this? Or how would Rocket do this or something like that? You're just like, like you're, you're totally focused on it. Like he's the yeah. lens through which you're viewing life. Or are you able yeah. to kind of turn it off when, uh, when you're when you're done for the day? You know? <laughs> I mean, I think I've got a little Rocket in me regularly. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm a pretty active wild dude. Yeah, I guess there were some moments. I probably would not be here right now if I was seeing life through Rocket's lens 24-7. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there were definitely moments. It's hard. You know, that's an interesting thing you're asking because they teach you how to get in, but they don't teach you how to get out, especially yeah. if you're <laughs> doing it for so long. Yeah. Like... You know, you got to learn to shut it off a little bit. You know, funny, funnily enough, my first gig ever, Territories, I talked about it. That's the gig I met Michael Mando, who's on Better Call Saul. Still a friend to this day, but I remember him... We were at this hotel and I was just a young actor. I had no idea. And he told me that he was like, they teach you how to get in. They don't teach you how to get out. And there was a swimming pool. And he's like, he's like, Alex, every day after I shoot, I go in the pool and I wash away the carrot, you know, and he would <laughs> swim through. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Okay, cool. And I didn't really like absorb that that much. But then today I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm like, wow, yeah, that, you know, I have my own process too, but I take a shower. It's the same kind of thing. You want to wash that off and leave it on set if you can. But 
there was a time in my career, especially when I did this movie called Clyde Cynic, which is a great movie, but it was a very dark movie. I went way too deep into a very dark character. And I, uh, I thought that I was in, like invincible mentally, that these emotions wouldn't affect me. But I think it's very possible to go way too far into something like that, for sure. Because it's you're using your mind and your emotions, right? How can it not affect you? Yeah. yeah. That's something that some actors have an issue with is like remembering who they are at the end of the day, right? Yeah, man. Wow. It's like such a thing to say too, right? Who are we, right? Because man, you can go down a path with that. Like, are we all, are, do we all have masks, you know, in society? Who are we really? And I mean, it's like, are we defined by these characters? It's very funny. A lot of people have told me I'm a chameleon like before, because I, I can get along with a lot of people. It's And maybe I shift around a little bit, but I like to say that acting is what helps me understand who I am because it's very funny after every shoot, I do learn something and it's usually not what I expected. I'm always trying to like accomplish something with my character. And I always, I usually fail as an actor, but then I get off the set and I look back on it and I'm like, oh shit, it wasn't that. It was actually the failing, like that actually worked for the character. So subconsciously <laughs> I'm always doing something. There, is, is there any one of those, uh, those, those situations you learned something that you weren't expecting that stands out to you? One thing that I've learned quite a bit is that these are all collaborative processes. The more I do this, the more I realize that something that I love about being on set is that every single person there is doing something their parents told them not to do. So, <laughs> so like, that, that is nice. Yeah. No one's on a movie set because they don't want to be there. Like <laughs> the person doing craft, not even the person on the boom, like they're all there because they, they want to be there. They want it to be in film. And I, I think that's an amazing thing. So as I, as I kind of do this more, I, I think I, I just learned to appreciate every single person who's on it. I know that kind of sounds maybe it could sound a bit hokey saying that, but yeah. uh, you know, I, I think it's just an important thing to strive for. And actually that's one of the things I love about video games is because I think video games is an amazing equalizer for everybody, including the actors. Cause I think, you know, actors on movie sets, depending on what you're playing, you know, you, you can be treated quite well. Sometimes you get a trailer, sometimes you get, you know, something assistant and it's, it's very nice, you know, but you don't really need it. <laughs> but when you get on a video game shoot, I like to think that you're no more important than the animators than everyone else. And I, I think that's really, really cool. I think I, I like that. And another amazing thing about video games is that the casting possibilities for an actor are limitless because you're not playing anything that looks like you. So ever. Right? <laughs> I mean, literally playing yeah. Rocky Raccoon. Like yeah. There's so many cool like stories that, that get explored in video games, too, that, that I'm, I'm not sure would ever make it to a to a film, you know. Oh, yeah. I think that's that's a really cool aspect of it, too. Absolutely. And do, you, do you get typecasted as like, not you in particular, but people that do a lot of like video game acting or uh, voice acting as like in like typecasting in, in a way where you, it's harder for you to get non video game work because of, of that? Or are you still able to get like regular film acting work? You can. It can happen. Okay. Absolutely. I think naturally uh, the people in the industry, they want to typecast you for sure. Like whether you're a video game, film actor, TV actor, if you do something that does well, like if you play a character that is remarkable in a certain way, people will right away be like, OK, you know, he's the person who plays the nerd. She's the person who plays like the villain, you know. And that's why we see a lot of stars. They have that year where they come out. Right. And they do kind of the same two, two, three movies over the three years and then they disappear. And then they do something four years later that's totally different. I'd say it's a conscious decision to say, I got to break out of that mold, take a bit of a hit for four years where I'm not doing work so that I can come back and do something different. I think that's important. I'm very lucky because I have a very diverse background where I, I've done a lot of film, a lot of TV, a lot of voice. I've kind of done it all. 
at this point though, in the grand scheme, I'm being, I'm becoming more defined for rocket, which is cool. That's fine. You know, a voice actor. And I don't care if somebody comes up to me, you're like, Hey, you're the, you're a voice actor. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Cool. <laughs> it's like, I don't try <laughs> to tell people like, no, I'm also a film actor. But, uh, it can happen. It can happen. And, uh, I, you know, especially with casting directors, because those are the relationships that you have in a particular city. If they book you on something, you know, you came in to do a villain, let's say they book you successfully on that. They also have their ROI. Next time they're going to submit you for something, they, they want to submit you for something that they can book you on because they want to do that properly. So it's a bit detrimental to the actor because the actor probably wants to do a wide range of things. But I've also learned that it's important to know what your strengths are and it's important to know what you're good at and what your wheelhouse is, we call it, you know, and me personally in film and TV, you know, I do a lot of nerds. I do the bad boys, too, but not the bad boys who are like cool. The bad boys who are more like, I don't know, the drug addicts and the, (laughs) you know, (laughs) those the real bad boys. (laughs) And uh, I do I do a lot of villains like but I'm also at this weird age. Like I just turned 30. So, you know, I, I got this like baby kid face that's super weird. And then like, I also have, you know, a party background. So like I have the, like some people say I have like a baby face, but the eyes of someone who's been through war. So I think it's like an interesting thing. So I like to think that I'm a bit of a chameleon in that way too. And I, I'd like to stay that way. I, I try not to think about it too much though. It's a good question. Do you prefer anything over the other between like the the voice acting or film acting or TV acting, or are you just kind of happy if it whatever? Yeah, I, I like it all. For me, it's the character. Okay, you know, and uh, it's not even genre. I'll do a horror, I'll do a drama, I'll do a comedy. I just latch on to characters, and I have such a good time with with anything. What I will say though is, I think the most pleasurable experience I've had as an actor has been performance capture. And I mean, you know, you guys remember playing cops and robbers in your driveway or something and yeah. when you're six or seven and you're totally in it. You you believe it like you believe that you're make believe. Yeah, it's make believe. And man, that's exactly what it is in, in motion capture, because you have to totally give into your imagination. You know, you know, like the director will come up to you. OK, there's a planet exploding over there. You got to dodge a rock that's shooting at you. And then you got to pick up your gun and zap three bad guys and then jump down a hole, you know, and you're on this like <laughs> The screen screen. So you have to surrender yourself to your imagination, just like you did when you were a kid. And it's very different because it's different than film and TV. You would think that film and TV would be better for that, more realistic, right? Because you're actually on a set. But you have to remember that on film and TV, you've got a whole bunch of distractions. You've got a boom mic in front of your face. You've got, you know, the clapper, you got a camera, you got this. So all those things are gone on the mocap stage. And I would almost argue that the elimination of the physical attributes of an actual production force you to actually commit 100% to your imagination, which connects you right back to that kid. I find it harder to be in a believable state of mind for the character on film and TV, or at least more challenging than I do it being in mocap, which I don't think is an obvious thing to know. That's interesting. I think it'd be the other way. Yeah. Yeah. The hardest, I'd say, is voice because voice, you're, you know, you're in a booth, uh, you're in a dark room, you got a mic in front of you and, you know, doing a sound effect. Just imagine trying to have a conversation while screaming, skiing down a hill, a ski hill. You wouldn't get that on a mocap stage. You would still have to fake that. But, you know, when when you're constrained to a certain, just the physicality of that being in a six by six room, you know, right away, you feel like you're in a room. So it's harder to project for the outdoors. There are those limitations there. So that requires more imagination, but there's a, it's a little bit of a repressed amount, I think, or it's, it's repressive in a certain way. 
Do you have any uh, dream franchises or projects that you would love to work on? I mean, obviously working with Marvel and, and the video games you work on are, are really big and all that, but is there anything you, oh, you really want to do? For sure. I'm just going to put this out there. <laughs> I'm a huge Battlestar Galactica fan. Like, huge. Oh, huge. Right. I love, I love oh. Battlestar Galactica. My dogs are named Starbuck and Apollo. <laughs> yes! Amazing! Oh, God, man. I mean, like, I, I, I rewatched the last scene where Adama's flying Roslyn and he's like, I'm going to build the house there. You know, I like, I rewatched that like, like every month and I cry like a baby. There's so many times I cried there in that man. I, I love that you guys like Battlestar. Anyways, I know they're making a, uh, they're making a, a, a sequel or a spiritual sequel right now. Mm-hmm. Let my agent know probably every six months. I'm like, you keep your eyes out for that. Cause I want to audition. Yeah. Cause they're probably shooting in Canada for it. I, I would imagine. Right. Probably yeah. they got delayed. I think, but like, that's oh, man, I would like love to be involved with Battlestar Galactica. Who would you want to play? Who would be your? I I mean Baltar probably. Okay. Like if, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I actually see it. That's so good. I, like, yeah. I feel like that's my type. Like I'm not an Apollo. <laughs> I could maybe play if they did a um if they did a male Starbuck again. But I love the female Starbuck. Like it's yeah. so like he's so good, man. But yeah, it's, it's probably Baltar or like I don't know if Adama was 30, maybe I don't know. Like I think everybody <laughs> young, wants to be a Colonel Ty. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh my God, Colonel Ty. God, what's his voice? Well, like I'm trying to do Colonel Ties. <laughs> he was so funny. Um, and you know, another uh, series I would love to do is um, is Fables. It's one of my favorite, uh, my one of my favorite graphic novels. Okay. And I don't think I could do it anymore. But I actually wrote an email to this director that was hypothetically going to do it like six years ago. I think it was in the works. I was like, look, I love Fables. I'm a huge fan. Like, I want to play Boy Blue. I know the trumpet. Uh, like I did, like, and I wrote this like entire email telling him why I should audition for Boy Blue, and I never got a reply, obviously. But yeah, that like if they ever did a Fables thing, we usually ask one last question for people on our show. Any words of wisdom for anyone aspiring to be an actor that you wish you would have got when you first started out? The one thing I'll say, if you like anything else, do that. <laughs> but for those of you who listen to that and are like, "Screw you, man! I freaking love it." I mean, that's the answer, right? Because it's incredibly difficult. I'm not going to mince it. it. It's incredibly difficult. It, you, the odds are ever against you, up against constant rejection. You're constantly being judged. You have very little control over things. It's an uphill battle. But for those of you who hear this and are even more motivated, then that's it. That's the spark, right? What I will say is focus on your freaking craft. Forget about all the other shit. Forget about looking good. Forget about you know, like there are things you need to do, like get a headshot and all that stuff. But look, you can figure that out. It's not hard. But I do strongly believe that if you put in those 10,000 hours and you find good mentors, good teachers, if you do as much acting as you possibly can, I mean, they won't have a reason to not hire you, right? How could they not if you go in and you do a great audition? So it doesn't have to be complicated. There's community theater. There's acting workshops. There's monologues online. There's movies, there's screenplays. There are other actors that are at your level that you can meet every week. And I still meet every week with uh, my acting mentor in Toronto. I don't pay him anymore, but we <laughs> we do a scene every week and we work it and we work it and we work it. It's like going to the gym, right? Like if you know if you're not working out or you're not, it's like a writer. If a writer doesn't write every week, they're not a, you're not really writing anymore. So just work on your craft. And then if I can say one last thing is uh, treat everybody with respect because you really, really don't know who people are going to be in 10, five years. And not only that, but you should just be treating people with respect anyways. Don't be a dick. Right. It's like, it's a collaborative (laughs) thing. And there are people that I met on set one day that booked me a year later in a movie 
It's just amazing who you can meet. If you're a starting actor and there's a film school in your area, great place to go because those people need actors and they can't pay them. But I bet you there's 15 short films being made there from people that in five years are going to be directors and cinematographers. So reach out to them, say I'm available and do a couple of shorts, make those contacts, make those relationships, treat people with respect, follow up and stay around. Don't be a stranger. It's all about people at the end. Really all it is, just a bunch of people trying to make it. It's really good. Yeah. Alex, it's been an absolute blast having you on our podcast tonight. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Thanks a lot for coming on. It was just a good, good discussion. It's my pleasure. Uh, to do this again, but in a hot tub next time. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I got my Gamora costume in the closet. Yeah. You, just- <laughs> man, I'm so excited for this. This is going to get, this is going to get hot. Weirdest co- cosplay ever. Same as Gamora. <laughs> man, I want pictures. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants pictures trust me yeah, no. No. <laughs> all right no, i'll just wants, keep them for myself no wants to yeah. see that. Yeah. I, I, I made them for you thank you thank you james this is for alex <laughs> <laughs> alex where can our listeners find more of you and your work at i am mainly on twitch and on instagram i i try to do tiktok but i'm not very i'm not very reliable but twitch instagram tiktok and i am at officially a wiener at all those places you heard it here that's yeah, hilarious. That's it was either that or Wiener is coming. <laughs> How is coming spelled? <laughs> uh, like it was, like it would be with Winter is coming. Where did your mind go, Josh? <laughs> I, I was just curious which one was taken. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh man! No, thank you for coming out, Alex. You're you're awesome. This has been a lot of fun tonight. Really, really insightful and all. So yeah, it was great. My pleasure. Yeah. I'll come back anytime, guys. Love you guys. It's great. Yeah, no, he's a lot. It's a lot of fun. It's cool, like hearing because, like, we, we've talked to. I feel like a fair amount of actors. We, I feel like we, we do have a, a somewhat of an understanding of it, but like we haven't talked to a lot of people that do voice acting and explicitly like the motion capture stuff for video games. So that's really cool yeah. to like hear more of those insights of like how that's made. Because one of the things he did say about like all them being in the room together for that chemistry—that's something you wouldn't think of, but it's so natural that you like you would do. Like, why would you? Why wouldn't you do that? Like, it's just <laughs> the the uh, the imagination. It was it was like a sensory deprivation tank being in there. Like, you don't have to focus on the fact that this is fake, you know. <laughs> so 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 you can get into your imagination more. That was cool. Something else I thought was really him talking about his process for remembering lines. Mm-hmm. That's something that's kind of universal with with any knowledge. Is like understanding the purpose of something, like having a connection to to material makes it so much easier to learn process that he does naturally is actually pretty similar to what memory champions do a memory palace and all that. So yeah, I, I yeah, thought yeah. that was really cool. And also like he, he really falls in love with, with the work. Like you really like, that's what he was like, say you read it multiple times. So he, like really got an appreciation for it. I think that also goes a long way of like actually like falling in love. That's that emotional connection that you get with that. And also like if I had to pick like a person out in a crowd that I would thought be, would be Rocket Raccoon, he, he would not be it. Like, but <laughs> like, like, it, like he kills it though in the, in the game. I don't know what I would expect the person that did Rocket Raccoon's voice to look like. I, I was I was surprised when I when Bradley Cooper was the one playing it too with yeah. Guardians, you know. So I, I I don't know many uh, humans that that I see like they're they look like a raccoon, you know. Uh, I see some mousy fuckers. Oh yeah, but mousy is different than a raccoon. Like I, I, there's there's not a lot of people that I look at them and I think that guy is a raccoon. That guy's a fucking raccoon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I know. I know. We, we briefly talked about it in the pre-show. We didn't really talk about it in the actual main show, but just the fact that he's not like a hardcore comic book fan. I always love that and all because I'm sure like he gets like 
people all the time is ask him like, oh, like yeah, yeah. comic book questions. <laughs> it's like, why, why, Rocky Raccoon would say it this way. Why did you say it this way? He's like, I, I said it this way, dude. Like, that's, the way I, that's the way I want to do it. But in, in, in this issue 22, he, he said this and he copied it like, no, I don't care, man. It's <laughs> <laughs> I think that he was able to bring a more, more authenticity to it, ironically, with, with without being super deep into it. Cause like, there, there's a lot of assumptions mm-hmm. that people make about certain things that you're, you're not going to have if you're not deep into it. Well, not even just that, like, like you, you brought up like such a, like it's such a popular character. It, it's hard to do this type of roles because everyone has like a, a like a, an actual like invested interest into it. Right. And all, and it's like, sometimes you kind of like, you kind of fall into tropes and all like, like, even he said, like he didn't watch the guardians of the galaxy movie. Cause like he would develop those things not naturally and it, it could affect it. Yeah. And I mean, even, even with like, with character, it's um there, there are, there are a lot of those, a lot of those like kind of caricaturesque, Asp to, to to rocket raccoon so i can see i can see so, like if, if you're focusing too much on that it'd be it'd be hard to get deeper into the nuances of of that character and actually making it real instead of just kind of a cartoon you know yeah yeah because even like the the simple things of like him doing like scratching or like growling or getting like a bit more aggressive with certain things like that stuff like you, you kind of have to come naturally to and all because if it's like too yeah. forced and all it just it just seems fake like you said like cartoony like it's just uh, it kind of loses it it's it's magic a little bit yeah, I mean, you can always go hang out with furries and see what see what they're up to. Well, I'm glad it's worked out tonight. Uh, he was yeah, awesome. Definitely. He was, definitely. Yeah. yeah, he was really cool. Yeah, it's, it should be a good episode. So. Yeah, definitely. I, I yeah. think so. Thank you all for listening. If you would like to support the WWSD podcast, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash WWSD underscore podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. <laughs> yeah, we wrote this this mob pilot called Fugazi, uh, which was produced with um, a company called Rubicon Pictures in, in Montreal. Has nothing to do with the band? Fugazi. No, I know. Everyone <laughs> asked me that. Like, and I've known about that band. No, God, I wish. That's a, that's a cool band. I like Fugazi. <laughs>